Welcome to the Seashore Church Message of the Week. This message is designed to bring more of heaven into your world today. For more resources like this, or to learn more about our church, visit seashorechurch.com. Um, welcome. I realize um, there's some people that I have, um, haven't even met in church, and um, I'm actually amazed all the time at God and what He's doing. Um, um, just so you know, because, uh, I mean... Uh, some of you have been with us for years and years and years, others newer, and others like first time today. So, you know, Clayton and I turn up going, oh my God, people are here. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, and I'll context that a little bit with, um, um, if you just live in the place of obedience to his voice, doing everything he's asking you to do at any moment, on any day, any given year of your life, just live obediently. You don't have to strive through the whole rest of your life and you don't have to strive into even leading a church, right? You just have to just go, what do you want to do today, God? What do you want to do this year, God? And just turn up to everything he's asking you to do. And so the song, one of the songs was, um, um, oh, I was actually singing my own part to it, <laughs> as I do. It, but it's, we say yes to you, God, right? It's that heart, my heart is beating to your heart. We say yes to you. But it's really we say yes to you because he first said yes to us. Amen. He said yes to us. And so it's really easy for us to just keep saying yes again and again. And every single day say yes. And even in the days when you might feel like you struggle, you can just go, God, help me with this and give me grace for this. Because he'll answer that prayer so you can keep saying yes as well. Amen. And so um, that's why we turn up going, people are here. Because... <laughs> Because you can't, we don't strive at this. If we were to strive at this, we're just going to create another religious church. Another church that's full of man and man's ideas and man's tradition and they brand it and go, well done me. And I want none of that. Like none of that. Um, and so, oh, I'm going to cry. Can we, can we do this? Before we start, I'm going to ask everybody to stand to your feet. There's everybody in the room standing up again. Stretch if you need to, and, uh, and do this. Lift your hands as high as you can. Because the most important one in the room is Jesus, right? And we lifting our hands is a sign of surrender. It's a saying, aligning my heart with all that you are and who you are. And so, so we, say, we say yes to you, God. We just say yes from our hearts. We say yes to you every day. We say yes to what you want us to do. We say yes to hearing your words and hearing your voice and responding. And we say yes to all of it, whatever it is, the all of it. God will pay any cost, any price to serve you and live for you and do what you want us to do here on the earth. So we could be a people that you could be proud to put your name over and your presence among. In Jesus' name, we honour you, God. Just keep your hands up. Just another moment. It's not hard. Come on, stir yourself if you need to. Stir your faith. We honour you. Let that rise off your heart right now. We just honour you, God. We honour you, Jesus. King of heaven. Ruler of all we can see and all we can't see. You are the Lord God. Ruler over all. Everything on earth and in heaven's must bow to the name of Jesus. And so we bow our hearts and we say, welcome, welcome. You are our Lord. You are our God. But also you are our friend. And we thank you for that. We thank you for that. We thank you that you've positioned us as your friend and you invite us in every single day. In Jesus' name, we say yes. Amen. Amen.
Oh, <laughs> just thank you for that beautiful worship this morning too, the way that you both led. I was just like laugh crying, like going between laughter and dancing to crying. <laughs> laugh cry. <laughs> and it's okay. Like it's like passion is okay. Emotions, it's okay. Jesus was fully, fully God, but also fully man and experienced the full range of the emotions that we can feel, right? And so if he could feel extreme joy and extreme sadness and grief and pain all at the same time, why would we think there's something wrong with us when we're sometimes really happy and other times going oh my gosh, thank you, and crying like with gratitude or crying over pain and the grief in the world in prayer, right? It's okay to feel all of that stuff. The Holy Spirit uses all of that stuff in us to help us, grow us, pray through us, express him through us to other people, right? That's why we let emotions, we we love it. We don't let them rule us, but we love it. Hang on. Okay, in the prayer meeting this morning, which by the way, I usually start upstairs at about 8.30 in the morning. For anybody who wants to come, welcome to that. Unless I'm here. If I'm doing worship, then I'll be down here. But in the prayer meeting this morning, and then even with the scriptures that I have this morning, this is the same as some of the stuff that came out in worship, which I love because we're prophetic people, right? We hear the Lord. We obey the Lord. We hear the Holy Spirit. Every single believer has Holy Spirit in them. And there's a baptism that comes as well for more. But every believer in Christ is meant to be prophetic, right? So that means you catch revelation. You can hear him. You can um, grab him, whether it's impression inside. You hear his voice. You see things in the spirit. doesn't matter how you grab the revelation. However he speaks to you, we're all so individual and unique. So he just does what he wants and we just want to catch it, right? But in, so this is what I'm talking about. They sung songs prophetically off the other songs that they'd already planned and little licks and lyrics and scriptures that they sung. Or we'd been praying the same stuff up in the prayer meeting. (laughs) And they don't know that because they were down here and we were up in the prayer meeting. And so I'm starting with some of the scriptures that you were singing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I do just give this over to you, God. Just speak what you want spoken and let my words that are not of you just really drop away in Jesus' name. The song that we sung, the last song, was, um, is from Psalm 27, verse 13, and it says this, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And so I think in Christian life, especially because I've, I've been in church almost all my life, and you can go, well, I know that I'll see the goodness one day in eternity, in heaven, because right now I haven't experienced goodness. But the promise there is in the land of the living, which is we are the living right now here. In the Hebrew, when there's in the land of the living, they always meant in this earthly life now, not, to, not far off in the distant eternal life, which we're all going to get to, and it's going to be amazing and brilliant, but God wants us to have amazing and brilliant here right now. And so when we sing songs like that, and if you're new to us and maybe don't know why we just sit on some phrases and keep repeating them, keep repeating them, it's to declare it over our life and declare God's truth, God's word, declared over our heart brings change into our life and we're transformed by that. And so we sing this, we'll sing, in the land of the living, or I'm confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Who doesn't want that? We all want that. Unbelievers want that, right? And so we as believers of God do get to walk in this promise, right? So it's yours. It's our faith that reaches up and grabs it. What I'm talking about this morning is um, uh, God's family. Oh, fucking... 
Um, I don't know all of your stories. And, I, you know, I say this because I know, some, I know some people's stories. I love to get people's stories. I love to know your testimony, how you landed in church. And every single one of us is so unique and so different. Our stories are so different. And, and one story is not better than another story. You can't listen to someone else's story and say, mine's not as good as that. Oh, I won't share it. Your testimony is given to you, and by the Lord, by the way, and there's power in it when you share your story and your testimony because the Word says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and our testimony, what God has done in our life because when we talk about what God's done in our life, it is giving Him great glory and the power of testimony is to someone else hearing it. it says, do it again in my life, God. And so don't listen to someone else's story and say, it's not as good as that one so I won't be quiet, they should, they should keep talking. You have boldness and courage given to you through Holy Spirit so that you could be someone who will be God's mouthpiece and you'll speak his word and you'll speak of your, the truth of the word of God and speak about testimony, right? Anyway, I better open. This is the biggest one I have. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> I need, Clayton? <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like I, you can work out with this one. <laughs> I don't recommend it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Okay, okay, it's, you paused a little too long on that. <laughs> First John, I just need an extra hand. I know where it is. <laughs> you sure? Are you sure now? Third to last book in the Bible. First John 4. I'm talking about God's family, all right, but here's the thing is... Um, I'm saying about our testimony and our different stories is because, because all of us land into church differently. Thanks. Thank you. It's heavy, right? Now I'll stick it there now. Yeah. Unless I drop it. <laughs> so awkward. <laughs> um, <laughs> we need like a proper pulpit, right? Not like a $20 music stand. <laughs> anyway... Um, so we all come, we all arrive in church differently, but, but we're all God's family, regardless of whether this is Seashore Church or any church. There's like a ton of churches in Norfolk and Virginia Beach. We're all one family, right? God's family, one. He only has one family. And so some people like to go, well, this is my church and this is my name and this is my denomination. And this is what makes me different from that one. And God goes, I don't want you to be different. I just want you to love each other. Doesn't he? He's like, would you just love each other? If you could get that one. By the way, I am love. God is like, God is love. <laughs> I am love. If you could just understand that. And I am in you. So you have love. You have access to my love in you and through you. And so if we as the church could understand that it was one family, and if we get to loving each other really, really well, we'll fulfill the gospel, which is the mandate to go into, oh, you rock. So thanks. <laughs> It's seriously, I should bring smaller Bibles. <laughs> this one's got all my notes, though. Um, um, so love, the family of God should be a very, very loving, very safe, very secure, very comfortable place for you to be in. And so, and so here's the thing is, like, if you rock up into my life, like Sammy, and if she, if she comes up into my life and love is the thing that is coming out of my life, she is going to feel it. You're going to feel because we actually have incredible spiritual sense. Sometimes we don't know that that's what it is, but what we're feeling is, I feel loved by this person. I feel there's an openness. 
right? What you're feeling is the person that stepped up with that has, is giving you dignity, is giving you the love that we're all called to give, right? And so whether it's an individual or in a very large, you know, context like this or larger church or, or you know, even on the street, new supermarket, at work, if you turn up in your world and you're just loving the people around about you, they are going to be changed just because you love them before you even say a word, because love is the force on the earth that is God himself. He's not a force, he's a person, but he is love, all right? And so if we can understand that and just be people who just go, my job is just to love people really well. I think that when we get to heaven, the major question, the, okay, especially, by the way, as a church leader, God's not going to go, oh, you did really good. You, you grew a really big church. You started lots of other churches. You preached so well. He's not going to say any of that. He's going to ask me, well done, you learnt to love. That's the thing. There's no other thing. Like all of the other stuff that we get to do in life, serving the Lord, loving the Lord, with family, whatever, it's, it's only cream on top. The thing is, did you learn to love? Did, and, and by the way, that actually requires us to first receive his love into our hearts so we're changed by it so we can love others, right? Is if we're not changed by his love and we've resisted or, you know, we've said, no, that's a bit much, and and haven't allowed him to fill us and change us with his love, we're going to have a really hard time loving the people in our world. And so the first thing is allow his love to come in and hit you and and knock every, you know, wall down of defense, every wrong thinking, every wrong argument, anything that you've allowed to erect in your life to to, um, stop or hinder God in you, any believed lie about him, that he's not good, that's a lie. He's very, very good. And he's made you very, very good, right? And so when we can be people who allow the love of God to just come in and touch and change and transform every part of who we are, we become vessels of his love in very pure ways, right? And that's the thing. Very pure vessels, changed, transformed, touched by his love. So his love then runs through us, uncluttered, unfiltered, unchanged, unpolluted, right? I'm going to read from, first of all, from Psalm 68, because I'm talking about God's family. Psalm 68, verse 5 and 6. And I'm reading all the scripture being from the NIV. God is a father to the fatherless and a defender of widows. In God is his holy dwelling. God sets the lonely in families. He leads out the prisoners with singing, but the rebellious live in a sun-scorched land. I'm going to read just the first part of six. Well, say it. God sets the lonely in families. We were all once lonely. We were all once separated from Christ and and divided away from him. But the moment you give your heart to Christ, he goes, great, another son or daughter, come with me. I have a church family to plant you in. That's the purpose of that verse. God sets the lonely in families. We were once lonely, then we meet Jesus. We're now no longer lonely, but especially because he plants us in a family. He wants us connected life upon life, heart upon life. Heart, I should say, heart upon heart. Say it right? Say it right. Um, life upon life, heart upon heart. So, so our lives are also like, in the Bible, it talks about like stones. We're living stones. So when a wall is built, it's brick upon brick upon brick upon brick, Right? That's our lives are like that, built into the one great big house of God, one great big family, and then he fills it, right? And so our lives, when he sets the lonely in families, as he sets people into a family, and the families look different all over the world, right? This is Seashell Church, ours looks different to the church down the street, and that's okay, it's really okay, 
But God sets people individually. It, like it ordains you into a place where he knows you'll get fed. He knows you'll be loved. He knows you'll be accepted the way you are. And I think that this is the longing of every single person's heart, right? Will I be loved if I'm fully known, if they know me the way I know me, and I make myself known there? Will I be fully loved? And sadly, in a lot of churches, people aren't. Can we be the kind of church that really changes that? Like, really, I'm calling you. Like, let's be the kind of church that is just so open-hearted, so willing to love whoever turns up into your world in whatever mess that turns up with, that person turns up with, right? Because God is not afraid of anything. He's not afraid of any mess. He's not afraid of any, any, anything at all. But if we can be like him then, because in Jesus we are, in this world we are like Jesus. I haven't got to that scripture yet, but... In this world, we are supposed to be like Jesus, which means that whoever comes up into our world is just open there, welcome there, going to be loved. Here's where I'm going to read, okay, from 1 John chapter 4. It's actually, John's books are my favourite of any. I don't know that we're supposed to have favourites. <laughs> I do, though. Um, and I think because he's the disciple that just talked about so much intimacy with God, So verse uh, 7, to pick it up. Um, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. By the way, when you read that world there, and uh, also in John 3.16, because it's almost the same verse, almost repeated exactly, world there is not this earth, it's the whole cosmos. He sent God, Jesus in to redeem everything, including our planet. So don't go... Climate, climate crisis, it's not. God's in control of it all. Jesus came to redeem it all, all of it, back from the curse, right? It's the curse crisis, not climate crisis. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> I can't help myself. <laughs> so, sorry if you're near here today and you're like, who is she? What is she going on with political stuff? Because politics really, really actually, we wouldn't have um, um, politics if we didn't have religion in the first place. (laughs) Move on. Where was I? Verse 10. This is is love. Not that we loved God, but that he first loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. Stop. It's, we know in Scripture people did see God. So he's saying no one has ever seen God, but I want to just give a little bit of context to that because through Scripture, there's lots of Scripture that says, no one has seen the face of God and then other places. I saw the face of God and lived, right? Do you, you wonder about that? It's, um, it's because there was an old Hebrew phrase, no one can see God and live. And that was true because the sin on them would kill them. <laughs> and so there was this old Hebrew phrase that still turns up in our Old Testament and New Testament. No one can see God's face and, or no one can see God. But the fact is that, that many of them did in Scripture. Moses did. Abraham did. Lots of them did. 
and, um, and they lived. Jacob wrestled with him and he lived. He goes, oh my gosh, I saw God and I lived, right? So I just want to context that because I do think some people get a little confused sometimes. They wait. So no, one's, no one can see God and uh, live. So I'm going, to, I'm going to read here from, I'm going to read from 15. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God and God lives in them and they in God, so we know and we rely on the love God has for us. We know and we rely on the, God, the love God has for us. Again, repeat it again, God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and in God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Christ. There is no fear in love, which is also, you can say, there's no shame in love. There's no stigma of my old past in love, okay? But perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. See, do you understand? The one who fears right now just hasn't met with God's love in a way that God has been able to get it out of them, right? It's right here in Scripture. If there's still fear in you, if there's still worry, if there's concern in you, let God's love hit your heart and knock it out of you because he wants you perfected in love. He wants you not fearful of anything, anything, even if it's just the opinions of people that you love. He still doesn't want... He wants you only thinking about the opinion he has of you, right? And that's what glory, the Greek word in the, in, in the New Testament for glory, also means his weighty opinion of you. And so, so throw off the fear of man, throw off the fear of anything that might rule you other than just being perfected by his love. Amen? Okay, number 19. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, whom they can see in front of them in the flesh, cannot love God whom they, whom they have not seen. I think that's strong words, but it's very true and it's very good words. Um, he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love brother or sister. And that's a lot of scripture there, but I wanted to read it. It's really, it's important scripture. And honestly, for, for the culture of even of our church, I want to protect this in our church. Is love must be the thing that we turn up into people's lives with. Never shame. Never operate through controlling religious ways and never shaming people. Many people in the church have not risen into their God-given identity because they've just come under wrong words and shame. And so shame from the past or even current stuff that they're doing sits on them, binds them and keeps them limited. And they, they've just not been told. There's no place for shame in God. There's no place for shame. If you've been set free by Jesus Christ, he has broken off every bit of sin, sickness, failure, mistake. Every bit of shame has been completely removed from your life. All of it. There's none left. And so if people come into you while dealing in shame, they have not yet been set free themselves. And they might be saved. They might be Christians, but they've just not yet been saved from themselves delivered from some of the stuff that they just operate with in a way that's unhealthy and against love, by the way. Anything against love is sin. Anything that's against love is sin. So I want to tell you just a couple of stories and um, 
because who comes, the first point is just who comes into the family. And I've already said it's anybody, everybody, everybody's welcome, right? From Matthew eleven nineteen, 19, we, we know this accusation was thrown at Jesus all the time from the religious leaders. Here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And the religious leaders threw that at Jesus, but he took it as a badge of honor. He's like, yeah, they're my friends. Yeah, we hang out. Yeah, I love them. And they know it. Right? They know it. They know they're loved. That's why they feel safe enough to come and sit and have dinner with me. <laughs> Amen. Matthew 21, 31 says, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. That was something he said also to the religious leaders. Tax collectors who were uh, very, very abusive. They were Hebrew people working for the Romans who were oppressing the Hebrew people. The tax collectors were corrupt, evil thieves. They and then the prostitutes were fine and welcome and happy and, and, and knew that they were welcome to Jesus' table to sit and eat with him. The religious leaders hated that. Luke 11, sorry, Luke 14, verse 23. Who is welcome in the family? Jesus was telling a story about a great banquet that he was preparing, but the people who were invited, which was the religious people and was many of the um, uh, religious Hebrew people. A lot of the Israelites really did love the Lord. I really want to make sure people understand. They did uh, beautifully um, look after the Torah, teachings, commandments, all through their history. We often in the church hear of uh, the religious leaders, this, they're bad, kick them out, right? And we lump all of Israel, Israel in with that. But I want to say there was a lot of very warm and very faithful people in the Israelite nation until Jesus is coming, right? So, so don't, don't just as a whole, as a nation go, oh, they, they missed it, because many of them didn't. And we have the, all of the Old Testament scriptures to thank, because many of them just really love God. And they, they accessed a grace in God because of it. And, and we have scriptures today so thank God for them, right? So I'm only talking about religious leaders. And by the way, now, in the context of today, when you bump into Christians who just operate from a sense of shame or religious ways of just doing life, and, and, and likely in this room, I can't speak for every single person, but a very high proportion of us in this room will have bumped into a very religious, ugly side of church. All of us. It's hard not to. And... and uh, there's a song, The Good, Good Father, and there's a line in that song. It says, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you like. That first, that's one line. The line that comes after it is, but I know the gentle whisper. What is it? I, uh, I've heard the gentle whisper of love in the dead of night. But that first line is, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like. There's a thousand religious stories of what people religiously and through tradition will try and tell the rest of the world what God is like and sometimes it's just void of the love of God it's void of the love and grace that we receive through Jesus Christ and so people if they just hear these very traditional and very religious God is God is a God of wrath God is mean God killed people in the Old Testament for sinning and and completely miss that there's so much grace and there's so much love and the love is the same God by the way he's not like mean old wrathful God in Old Testament and now kind gentle God in, in New Testament it's the same father the same God he just had a progressive revelation for us to understand and catch right and so it all 
just section after section just speaks to, speaks to, speaks to today for us, the new covenant that we live in. We live in a new covenant. We're a new creation. We're full with the Holy Spirit to get up and go do everything we're called to do, right? So who comes into the family? Who is welcome into the family? Everyone. This week I heard a testimony of a, uh, a woman and I was quite broken listening to her testimony. She was uh, a pon- pornography star. Uh, did I say that right? Por- pornography star. Yeah, so she was a pornography star and there's videos on the internet of her that she can't pull down now. And so ex, ex though, right? So she ex-pornography star and, and um, she got into that because from the year of five years old until she was 15, her own father abused her, right? And so we, Christians, I'm so holy, who's that porn star? Get out of here. And have no idea of what got the person there in the first place. (laughs) So 10 years of daily, by the way, Abuse for father and other people in the family. In the family, at sixteen, she ran away from home and landed in the house of a prostitute uh, pimp, and then got pimped out. And then the pimped out, the people pimping out, put her on TV. She didn't know any other life, right? But the religious tendencies within many believers would go, "I can't, I can't be associated with that." But Jesus knows her days from the first day she was born to the five-year-old that was abused. He saw it all, right? He was with her, the same. Would someone help her? I need someone to reach in to her life and help her and love her. And even when she was in the, in the midst of the uh, industry of, of selling herself, but, but she was owned, right? She was trafficked. In that moment, She's crying out for help and finally landed in jail. And in jail, I think it's where she gave her life to Jesus and really got sorted out. Jesus radically transformed her life. Now she's married and has kids. And has, um, God has really just come through her life. And, and only as he can, mended parts of her life and, and made her a stronger woman, more brave, and taken the gospel to places that you and I would cringe at like into the darkest places where other people she's rescuing people out of the industry but can you understand the heart of the father who's watching a little girl at the age of five for 10 years be molested by her own father she lands at 16 into the arms of a pimp who's then going to sell her and traffic her I don't know how many years I think that was 15 years as well So today she's a woman who's standing for truth. And she's um, also, so she's in, this, she's in the industry now of rescuing kids out. And Christians are in the background of her life, swearing at her, cussing at her, Christians, saying, who do you think you are? You should just be quiet. You're too broken to do this ministry. You need to be quiet. 
But you know what? Jesus is the one who says, all you who are hungry, come to me. If, you are, if, you, if, if you're thirsty, come to me because I have something for you to drink that the world knows nothing about. And by the way, those worldly Christians also know nothing about. So it's, we've got to really guard our own heart, right? And not be so quick to go, oh, who's that person? Oh, I don't want anything to do with that. Make me dirty. Like, I literally don't care what people say about me, so I want to be this girl's friend. <laughs> like, like I, want to, I want to rescue girls like that myself, right? Amen. So I have another story about, I just what time it is. I have another story about a little girl who was in my neighbourhood who gave her life to Jesus. This little girl, when I met her, was 12 years old. And um, I met her because the Holy Spirit just gave me a word of knowledge. She's going to come walking down the street, go out and meet her and tell her about me. So I did. Anyway, her story then was at 12 when I met her, she at the time was um, being raised by a man, not her father. She had been abandoned at birth and in and out of the uh, welfare system and in the welfare system abused, adopted by a woman and a man who were married, but then they divorced. She went with the woman. So now she thinks she's got a family, right? But they divorce. But the woman, they divorce. So she goes with the woman. Well, I've still got a mum. I've still got a woman in my life. She goes with this woman who then gets remarried to another man. And that marriage breaks up. And the woman who adopted her abandoned her with the new husband. <laughs> so she doesn't even know this guy who beat her physically. He didn't do others, just the physical side, right? Beat her physically would not feed her, like would not give her food. Like how do you have someone living in your house? By the way, he was collecting the government money for having her live in the house because she was like a ward of the state, so money follows her. The guardian gets it. He wasn't even giving her food. So by the time I met her, she was a very broken girl, confused, getting E's and D's in school, failing, being told you're not going to amount to anything. But within one year... The Lord grabbed hold of her heart and she fell in love with the Lord. And um, actually, and I thank, because Bobby Ritter, Bobby, just to honour you, Bobby and myself helped put food on this girl's table and we organised with the school to make sure she'd get like the breakfast and lunch feeding thing through the school system because the dad, he didn't even... So thank you, because that was many years ago, but you helped and so I'm grateful. And I, I remember that, like... Um, so, we, so, so this little girl, within one year, was getting food and because she was like, I can't study because I'm hungry, I don't have any food and I fall asleep in class. And so how do I stay awake? My, my belly's empty, I don't have any food in my stomach. I can't listen to the teacher if I'm hungry and falling asleep, literally. Low blood sugar, you can't concentrate, you're going to sleep, right? So she's getting in trouble for going to sleep, but she was really going to sleep because she had no food. So that was a simple thing for us to um, fix for her. But then... In one year, she went from E's and D's, and Jesus did such a number in her, she got A's and B's within one year. But here's what happened, and this is a very tragic story part of her life, is she was coming to church with me, to a, a big church, and, and um, she was loving it. We drove three or four times a week, I had her with me, which is at church, just doing whatever. And because um, she was 13 by this time, so I got her into a... Uh, just a Bible study, right? And um, 
understanding she's a girl who's coming from poverty, doesn't even have food. I'm literally, as she's going through puberty, trying to even help her with that because her dad won't even help her with that girl stuff, right? So she's a really needy girl, if you understand. I'm setting up a picture. So she goes into this Bible study and starts going and meeting other kids. And, and that's good, right, to have friends. We want friends. We need to know we're loved. We need to know we're accepted. But she landed into a Bible group study with a bunch of, she's a black girl, she landed into a bunch of uh, uh, very wealthy, white, blondes, gorgeous, and she's here going, I don't even know who my parents are. So she was put into this Bible study and for a few weeks would go and go and one day she just called me and crying, would you come and pick me up and take me home? I can't be part of this Bible study anymore. And she goes, um, the Bible study had gone to the beach as youth do, like just go do fun stuff, right? But her dad turned up at the beach and in front of all of the rich, wealthy girls, beat her on the beach in front of them, hit her across the face, yelled at her. So, of course, she's embarrassed. She's 13. She gets back trying to fight back, going, oh, whatever she yelled. And then her father walked away, not father, guardian. And the Bible study leader, who's got no context because she only knows wealth, said of this girl, you shouldn't yell back at your father. You should honour your father. The Bible tells us we've got to honour our parents and just gave this religious spiel at this poor broken girl who didn't even know who her real parents were, who's trying to survive on like the free breakfasts and free lunches at, at, at school and then whatever else you know, I could pass to her through the week when I saw her. Do you understand the story I'm trying to set up here? Is it from, from, our own, from our own hearts, if the love of God is not free-flowing to the people around about us, we just, and the Christian in church, I'm talking about Christians in church, if the love of God hasn't just hit our heart and, and changed us, broken out of wrong thinking and wrong theologies which are God is mean or God is harsh or we've got to do, 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 give, give, give to get approval. If that stuff sits in us and and undealt with, we just become the kind of very rich white Bible study leader who's got no context for the very poor person with poverty, no parents, broken life, getting beaten all her life who walks into the Bible study. It doesn't matter where your position is. It doesn't matter where you get your start in life is. It doesn't matter if you come from great wealth or not great wealth. None of that matters. What matters is that your life is changed by the love of God in you. And you are allowing God to transform your heart, everything about you, hitting you, transforming you, like from the very core part of our DNA, that the love of God comes in, hits, touches, and we give him full permission to have his way. To, and, and by the way, in his timing, don't do this yourself. You wait for his timing. His hand, his timing, that's perfect. If we try to run ahead of him, we're still just being really religious with it. We've got to be people who just go, come in, hit me, change me, you have your way to do anything you want to do in my life because I want you and what I get when I just choose you is far better than anything else I can have in this world, right? And that love comes in, it transforms, touches, changes you. Then you get to be the person running around, as the Bible verse said, in this world, we are like Jesus. 
And so we will walk around every, every day, doesn't matter where you are, every day you walk around and you will taste like, feel like, touch like, smell like, love like Jesus, right? You are his hands and feet. It's actually even more than you being his hands and feet. He gets to incarnate again. We're not God. I'm not saying we're God, but he so fills you and so has his way through you. It's as if he was walking around on the earth again. Do you know that's what it's about? That's why we're filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why he asks us, like in Philippians 2, Jesus gave up everything, his own opinion, to even, his own right to even choose, his own right to even make decisions from the smallest decisions to big decisions in his life. He surrendered it all to the Father and through the Holy Spirit, was so filled with the Holy Spirit every day. So time with God was the thing. He prayed. If you read through the four Gospels, he would get away with, he would get away, he would get away up on high mountains. He was always going away just to sit with God, sit with the Holy Spirit and get from God because he said, I don't have my own, I don't do what I want to do. I do what the Father wants me to do. I say and do what I see the Father doing and I, I, I say what I hear him saying and I do what I see him doing. I think I got that right. <laughs> you know what I mean, though. It's that, this is what it's at, right? It's, it's yield. It's just give yourself. It's just yield. Hold nothing back. And I promise you, I promise you, it's worth it. There's nothing that you're doing, no habit that you think is feeding some part of you that you enjoy that God is not going to replace with something so much better. We're just intimate friendship with him. Intimate friendship with the God of heaven. He created it all. The most genius, creative being, like absolute genius, absolute creativity, right? Absolute intelligence, all-knowing. Like there's, there's no one like God. And so we think, oh, I just don't want to give that up. And he's like, no, please do, because when you do, I'm going to give you so much more. I have an example, and I don't even know where one of my kids are, two of them over there. Um, this week, this is what it looks like in the, in the real, real rubber-meets-the-road kind of family situations, right, just to be loved, and understand what it means to be people who just live by love and live by um, wanting, wanting, uh, uh, appreciating the values from the Word of God and the purity that, that He asks us to walk with and the truth that He wants us to come into line with. One of my boys was skateboarding this week, and with actually with my daughter's, my daughter's got one of those really big scooters that goes like 35 miles an hour. She should have a helmet. <laughs> I don't know, roll bar cage something <laughs> so, maybe not because my son was on it and, and he crashed he crashed into a car and it was an accident right but it was night time and there's a there's a 12 inch big gash in this car we're gonna have to replace a full panel on the car right it's gonna be expensive but my son and this is what this is this is what love can do the culture when you have a culture of love this is what it looks like my son knew not to just run away and hide because he could have. No one would have known. The person whose car down the – probably six houses down the street, they would have never have known who in the – wouldn't even look like a kid. It's like a pretty big gash with a – you know. And um, 
as soon as he came off and stood up and looked at it, he went straight up to the front door, knocked on the door and told the owner that he'd done it, which is telling on himself, right? Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I've, I've got to be responsible for this. When you have a strong culture of love, a person can get up and be responsible for their mistakes, no matter the cost, right? So then he told the people and then he came and told us and I just cried a little bit actually because I value the truth and the honesty and I value the responsibility way more than a couple of thousand dollars that's going to cost me to fix it, right? A culture of love will do that. A cultural love will pick someone up and put them on their feet even if they've had a big mistake. And that's, that's something he couldn't help. So, but even if it was deliberate, like in this repentance, on the, if something's deliberate when there's repentance, then it's still you pick them up and you put them on their feet. But a culture of love where there's no shame, we don't trade in shame, we don't trade in uh, uh, religious ways of doing things and we don't get angry when someone's literally been honest and gone, I did this, I'm coming clean. And you respond with love instead. That's, a, that's the culture of heaven. So I'm calling people today. I'm calling you today. First, that we would be people who tell on ourselves, right? <laughs> but, we'd be, but more than that, that we'd be the kind of church that's just so loving, graceful. We still call people into maturity and purity and devotion to the Lord. But there is grace and there is love. And there's so much room for people to make mistakes. There's so much room for people to fall and fall again and we'll put them back up on their feet again and get going again and we'll be their cheerleader, right? Culture of love. In the family of God, there's got to be this strong, strong culture of love for him to uh, really be glorified on this earth. That's how we glorify him. Collectively as a church, if we would together in our hearts, corporately go, yep, I'm going to love. I am going to be someone whose life is marked by love. Loving obedience to him, by the way, but loving the people that come into my world, no matter what. Showing grace, not critically judging, but just showing grace, love, help people onto their feet, help them get going again, no shame, like completely removing the stigma of shame. Jesus never used that because, in fact, shame is from the devil, Right? Shame is a tool of condemnation, which is from the devil, right? It's the opposite of love. Love comes in with conviction, which is the power then to change and move and mature, right? Big difference. So I am going to ask everyone to stand to their feet again. And I am going to ask you, I'm going to ask you, commit your heart, like covenant right now even, like commit your heart to be a lover, really be a lover of people, lover of God's people, to be someone who'll receive God's love into the areas especially that you need to receive it to to help you be the lover that he wants you to be, but to really be the kind of church that is, is, is family, real family, like authentic. You know, the word authentic is just so wrongly used, overused, it's kind of gross. Um, but the real meaning, like one of the meanings of it is um, to be conformed like the original, that's really, you can look that up in the dictionary, to be conformed like the original. Well, who's the original? It's Jesus. 
So, so our most authentic self is when we've allowed him to live in us and be in us everything he wants to be. And we've allowed the word of God to change us whenever Holy Spirit wants it to. And we've allowed him to be the one directing our heart and causing us to grow and causing us to give up things or repenting of things and getting things out of our life so he can put other things in, right? And that's the transformation process, the maturity process, the growth process in us. If we allow God to do that, our lives are going to look more and more and more like Jesus. And that's what the dictionary definition of authentic means. <laughs> so, yeah, just in your heart right now, just allow him to um, speak to you even. God, we, we thank you. We thank you. We are part of your family. You have blood-bought us with the blood of Jesus, the cross of Christ. It was expensive, but you spent your son anyway to purchase our lives, bring us into your family and plant us into your family with you. We are your sons. We are your daughters. And we covenant with you, God. We covenant today to be people who will lovingly listen to your every word, who will lovingly obey your every word, and who will lovingly Love every person that comes into our world the way you want us to. We want to be like Jesus. We want you to see Jesus in us. We want to see the transformation process so that other people can see Jesus in us. And so our lives really do reflect you and bring you glory. So much glory, God. I pray, Lord, that this family, this church family, would be strong in love, strong in love, strong in devotion, strong in worship poured back out to your Father. Thank you that the Holy Spirit is the one in us to produce that back to you. The Holy Spirit is in us to help us walk in love, to help us walk in grace, to help us be strong, to help us love our neighbors, and even if we're tired, to help and get up and do it anyway. Holy Spirit is in us for that. So God, thank you that you've given us Holy Spirit. We love you. We love you, Father. We love you, Son. We love you, Holy Spirit. And we say, come have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more resources like this or to find information about our weekly services, visit seashorechurch.com.